0: Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for the podcast and this advertisement space. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the Director of Training on the Survival Side of the House. Guys, this podcast is a lot of fun to do, but it's also pricey. And it's something that requires advertisers to help us bring really awesome guests to you. So I'm just going to recognize two of our sponsors, the two that you've heard me recognize before, good folks. First of all, I'd like to recognize Sig Sauer. If you guys don't know SIG Sauer, please correct that. Go to SIGSauer.com, take a look at all the different pistols and rifles that they offer. I've been a fan of SIG for a very, very long time. Back in the day, I actually read an article in Shotgun News all about the SIG 226 as a state trooper firearm and how in the winter months, I believe it was in Alaska, it was actually preferred because it had a very large trigger guard and you are able to get uh, a gloved finger inside that trigger guard. And that's all it took. I mean, I bought one, stupidly I sold it. Uh, I wish I could buy another one and I probably could, but I've kind of become a fan of their SIG 320 as opposed to the traditional old school DASA guns. But that being said, the classic line of pistols can be rebuilt over and over and over again. You just cannot kill them. Compare that with another classic DASA gun that I'm pretty sure you know which one I'm referring to from Italy. And the SIG beats it hands down. So uh, big fan of SIG. Currently, just so you guys know, uh, I'm working on building up an AR pistol off of their SIG tread platform. So look for that in my social media. I've had no issues with other SIG firearms. And this AR pistol is just going to be my little lightweight kind of travel gun uh, because I can carry it legally as a pistol. And I'm just going to put a few odds and ends on it and try to keep it somewhat of a budget build, not gonna go all out. I don't really need all the fancy stuff that you see on a lot of these guns, but that SIG tread is coming in, so very excited for that. Guys, please check out their academy as well. If you guys have never trained at the SIG Academy, you really feel like you're a kid on vacation. You show up, they take your registration, they ask you what do you wanna have for lunch, you go do your course, they bring you the lunch that you order, And then when you're done with your course, you can go through the pro shop. And if you look on the back of your certificate, they give you a discount code for future courses as well as a discount code that can be used in the pro shop. And next thing you know, you're spending a whole bunch. Guys, I love the SIG Academy. I've been there a bunch of times. I've made friends with a lot of the instructors. We keep in touch through social media. We send each other stupid memes. It's just a great time. So please check out those guys. Please check out that company. Buy yourself a new pistol. Buy yourself a new rifle. You know you've earned it. You know you deserve it. You can hide it from your husband or you can hide it from your wife. Uh, Pretend like it's a gun that you've owned before. It's awesome. Uh, Please check out SIG and the SIG Academy. The second company I wanna recognize is Black Rifle Coffee. Currently, hold on, wait for it. Oh yeah. If you guys uh, have never tried Black Rifle Coffee, ready to drink stuff, please try it. Uh, This is, let's see, what is this one? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Espresso with Cream. Good stuff, 200 milligrams per can. It will get you hearing colors and smelling sounds. It's what I like to drink on road trips. I've mentioned it before on the podcast. If you guys spot our Black Rifle Coffee wrapped sprinter van, and we're heading to Overland Expo or one of those events, please stop us at the gas station, ask us for one. I guarantee we're gonna have one that we can hand out to you, or at least if I'm driving. I'm usually driving with the fabulous Jen Caro. Uh, She's one of our employees here and she makes the drive a lot of fun. And uh, the two of us have a damn good time getting pretty caffeinated together and making the road trip (laughs) seem like it's minutes instead of hours. But guys, Black Rifle Coffee, they've got ready to drink stuff. They've got the instant coffee, the instant packs. I tend to go to gas stations, rob them of a couple uh, individual coffee creamers, and I throw those with a couple of the instant coffees, and I'm good for a weekend trip away without my drip coffee machine. I know that there are a lot of folks out there that do the pour over, and that's cool, but guys, get your coffee however you want it. Black Rifle Coffee, uh, you can do it in the can. You can do the prepackaged, you know, pounds of coffee. You can do the instant coffee. It's all good. And guess what? If you use our coupon code, which is CRAFT15, you're going to get 15% off your order. Just play around with the different things that you can put into your cart and see what you're able to get at a discount. Certain things are not going to be applied to that CRAFT15 discount, but try it. Go to blackriflecoffee.com, use our coupon code CRAFT15, and see what you can save some money on. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get down to this podcast. Guys, I know I'm gonna screw up this guest's last name, guaranteed. Uh, this is the Field For All podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Estella, and I'm here with Jared McCachron, not MacAhern, which is what I screwed up earlier. I was like, dude, I don't even know how to pronounce your last name. And maybe it's because I don't have the same ethnicity as Jared. Uh, so he's like, yeah, just call me Mac. But everyone knows Jared online as Army Mace, which is short for McCachron. And Jared, did I screw that up again?
1: Nope. You
0: got it this time. All right. I finally got it. Uh, you know, it, it just goes to show you that you can teach an old fart like me, uh, you know, some new things. So uh, if you guys haven't been following army mace, please check them out on Instagram. Uh, it's just at army mace. And I don't know how we first started talking, whether it was like a random skills post or if you were following fieldcraft or whatever, but you and I were going back and forth about different things. And the next thing, you know, I'm like, dude, you need to come out here and be like an assistant instructor on a class. And then from there, it was like, all right, I'm going to be training up in Washington. And you're like, dude, I'll, I'll pick you up. And then we stayed at some motel out there. And then, uh, you know, next thing you know, I've got a two-day, or I should say a 48-hour Ziploc bag challenge out here that I couldn't teach. And everyone's like, well, who are we going to get to teach it? I'm like, call Jared. So, uh, you know, you, you become like a, a regular with certain classes that we offer. And I kind of want to use this podcast to explain your background, to kind of explain your interest in footwear, which I I looked at your feet one time, I was like, dude, what the hell are you wearing? Uh, As well as like primitive skills and all that. And let's just go back and forth with with a bunch of topics. So thanks for joining us, first of all. Um, And let's kind of give everyone an idea of, of what you've done, cause you've been in the military and that I think might've been our, our connection initially was, uh, you were following fieldcraft because of the military connection. Uh, but then we started talking over survival stuff and I'm rambling cause I've had a lot of coffee. Um, so, so do you recall the first time that we, we ended up talking?
1: Uh, the first time we ended up talking was actually because we both, uh, quite enjoy the same knife maker. And I was using some blades that you designed before I even knew who you were.
0: Oh, you're talking about Gossman. Uh,
1: Scott Gossman. I was using the Bolo and the uh, Polaris before I even knew who you were. That was yeah, really the first time that we started year, talking? Uh, Yeah, probably about five years ago. Jesus.
0: I didn't know it was that long.
1: Uh, I had only been on Instagram for maybe like six months at the time. Yeah. And uh, uh, Scott sent you you over to me and I, me over to you. And I was like, oh cool. Uh, these are good knives.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And Scott basically has sworn off all social media. I wish I could. I mean, part of my job is obviously doing a lot of social media. Otherwise I'd be off of social media. I think it's, I I don't know. I, am just not a fan of it anymore, but, uh, yeah, Scott basically swore it off. You and I have not. And since then you and I have had a lot of interesting discussions about different things that we've seen on, on social media. Um, but we had a chance to, to get to talking i got a chance to, to know you and your background you were originally uh what mos in the military
1: uh, i was 11 bravo uh, which is infantry mm-hmm. i served for 14 years 55 months in combat i served for um uh, e1 saw gunner and uh, m240 bravo machine gunners i uh, worked as a ra- Radio, telephone operator for a little bit, uh, team leader for a long time, squad leader. uh, Temporarily positioned as a platoon sergeant, which was horrible as a sergeant. And then uh, a few surgeries later, I got moved to the arms room because I had a really hard time walking. And uh, fixed the arms room, changed uh, quite a few standards in, in the unit. Uh, got everything fixed. We had a lot of broken equipment. It was bad. And uh, they were just looking at me like crazy. So you, yeah, I like working. But.
0: So you go from the military to civilian world. When did you pick up all the bushcraft skills?
1: Uh, I've always been into the outdoors. Um, some of the primitive skills. Good books like My Side of the Mountain, Hatchet, things like that were big motivators when I was a kid. But uh, when I got out of the Army, I didn't have much to do besides uh, be a stay-at-home dad, going to physical therapy. And I really started getting really deep into the survival community and the primitive skills. And I fell in love with the the primitive skills because they're good for anger management because you can't work them angry. You have to work slow and methodical and... Otherwise, you're just going to frustrate yourself more and you'll never get the skill.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I don't think we want to see an angry Jared. Uh, you're a bigger dude. And I know you've been you've been getting after it, too, with the workouts, the morning workouts. And, you know, that's another reason why I wanted to bring you on, because a lot of people are like, well, you know, I just need motivation. And this motivation is simply be a better version of yourself, right? Like go out there and, and be the person that you would want to save your hide. And you've always been very good at at that, like taking up challenges and, you know, whether it's with the primitive skills and what it was that group, the men of action, the MOA.
1: Yeah, the MOA is a men of action group. It's uh, started by a friend of mine. It's all about getting after it, getting out. Uh, the talkers are going to talk. The doers are going to do just ignore the, the background noise and get after it.
0: Yeah. That's one of my biggest pet peeves with all the Instagram and social media stuff is the peanut gallery, right? Like, you know, you could see someone do an incredible skill, like whether it's a shooting drill or it's fire starting or whatever. And someone would be like, well, I do this better. It's like, no one asked you, you know, just give the dude credit where where credit is due. Um, and one of my favorite expressions is haters will see you walk on water and say, it's because you can't swim, you know? So I, I love the fact that you get out there and you're like, you know, had a good workout or you put up something like, yeah. The workout was really tough. Like you're not BSing anyone, you know, you're just telling it how it is. So, Oh God, well, the, you, the world is yeah, social media.
1: The, uh, the Instagram stuff was kind of fun. Uh, you, you get out, you get out of it, what you put into it. In my opinion with a lot of the social media stuff, like I'm not a huge fan of it, but it's introduced me to a lot of interesting folks. Uh, I've learned some stuff. I uh, helped motivate some people, taught some people through live video chats.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about some of the stuff that you put on there because I I joked around about your footwear. When I flew out to Washington to teach that class out in Goldendale, you picked me up and I was like, What the heck are you wearing? And they were these sandals, but they weren't like a pair of Chacos or a pair of like Tevas or anything like that. It was uh like were those handmade?
1: Yeah, I made them probably <laughs> 30 hours before we met up. They were my third or fourth pair. They're called a harachas. They're basically the oldest form of footwear known to humans. And uh, I, I've tried a different couple different styles, uh, barefoot style shoes because of surgeries, a lot of. Physical therapists and podiatrists were like pad up, pad up, all these inserts and all that stuff. And I said, screw this at one point because I wasn't getting any knee pain or ankle pain relief. And I went completely opposite. And about two weeks into it, when your feet start to harden up and you start getting used to the being in connection to the earth again, uh, my pain levels went down a lot. And i was able to actually start hiking again and start focusing on fitness again
0: now you know what's interesting is like from a running perspective there's different types of shoes that are out there right like uh motion control shoes that control like how much you pronate and you know then there's like a from like the hiking perspective or even like daily wear there are these custom insoles that you can get that are designed to work with like the arches in your feet but basically, what you had was like a slab of leather and a couple straps, and that was it. <laughs> I yeah. was like, "What the hell is this?" And it, like, I mean, it makes it look like your feet are are completely like nude. Like you don't have straps; you have like a cord. Um,
1: yeah, I, I get some funny looks every now and then. I wear moccasins. I wear my old issued boots. So, so there's pros and cons to both. hmm. Like with the high up hardened boots, the hard soles, they protect your feet from carrying a lot of weight and sharp objects, things like that. Whereas when you're running around barefoot or with Hiracha style sandals, you, you don't have the protection, but you're also not going to roll your ankle, which happens a lot uh, with thicker heels and harder heeled boots. So it's a give and take. You have to pick which one you're using and when to wear.
0: So you're probably not going to win any arguments when someone says like, well, what's the best pair of footwear? And you say, it's my harachas. you know, like that's another question that drives me crazy on all these online discussion boards and, and group chats and whatnot. And someone's like, well, what's the best? It's like, are you looking for the short answer? Or do you want the dissertation? Because there really is no such thing as best. And you know, if that works for you, that's awesome. I don't see myself wearing a pair of sandals like that. Um, but I get it. You know, some people have different style feet. Um, what was that one plant that you stepped on though? Um remember we were outside the Chola in
1: Texas? No, 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 no,
0: it wasn't the Chola. It was up in Washington and it was uh oh god, I can't think of it. It was like a it was like a like a hooked plant and it was on the ground outside the motel and
1: Oh, the goat heads.
0: Yeah. Guys, if you yeah. have never seen this plant, look it up. Goat head.
1: They're they're like Uh, nature's caltrops
0: yeah they suck uh i I mean it's such an aggressive plant um but i mean you must come in contact with them all the time with those damn sandals on
1: yes uh, which is unfortunate and they tend to spread that way Uh, that's part of the reason how the plant spreads itself man Uh, i switched immediately to my my heavy-duty boots when I was in Texas, and I was like, this is probably why everybody wears boots in Texas. It's not for a fashion statement. It's the fact that everything's thorny. <laughs> yeah. the
0: uh, My dad would always say about the Philippines, you know, like, no one walks around barefoot. Uh, he said, when you have access to, like, a, a tire, you can make a pair of sandals. Uh, there are things in the jungles that want to, like, spike you, and it's pretty foolish to walk around barefoot if you have the means to make shoes. Um, but what's really cool about all the stuff that you do and one of the main reasons why I want to focus on this, you know, having you on as a, as a guest on this podcast is because obviously like this economy is not great. Uh, people's dollar is not going as far as it should. We know things cost more. And yet when you go out, you tend to do things with with less, like you're making more, but doing things with less. Like you made a tracker style knife basically out of nothing, right? Like what was that knife?
1: Uh one of them is a lawnmower blade Mm -hmm. and uh, another one was gifted to me by a friend he made it out of a leaf spring because he knew i was just into this that weird style knife i like playing with all kinds of stuff everybody likes to talk crap you need this knife with this scandy grind and all this stuff I, i don't get me wrong i love those knives but at the same point i've learned a little bit of stone napping i've done split wood fires with rocks and it can be done but any piece of steel is honestly better than using rocks.
0: Let's go back to that lawnmower blade. Do you know by chance what type of steel that lawnmower blade is made out of like in general?
1: Uh a lot of the older ones were 1084 steel, but I have no clue on any of the newer ones.
0: Yeah. And what so was So
1: th- it's a hit or miss whether it's actually hardenable or not.
0: And what was the process of turning a lawnmower blade into a knife? Like what do you have to do?
1: I took a file and used the edge to cut it down and then I have this basic old school stone bench grinder that I did some of the shape heated it up in a fire pit which I was uh, using an old hair dryer <laughs> to uh, create the air draft to get the coals hot potter and then I dunked it in some canola oil it works
0: yeah and you know there's such a learning curve to anything when you are shaping metal heating metal heat treating metal uh i think in the process of learning how to make a knife even if it's a crude knife right i mean even if you're just talking about sharpening a knife like take a butter knife and sharpen a butter knife you learn so much in the process and that old expression of you either win or you learn there's no truer statement when it comes to making a tool like a knife um So you still have that blade, right?
1: Yes, sir. (laughs) I also have a knife I made from a butter knife, which I did quite a few tasks with. And I took a rock and smashed a spoon flat and ground an edge on that with the rock. And uh, did quite a few tasks with that, which is one of my favorite things to do when when people are like, you need this super steel and this grind blade shape. No, you don't. You just need a sharp edge.
0: Yeah, you need a little bit of creativity and a little bit of resourcefulness. Um, you know, you you mentioned all these books like Hatchet and My Side of the Mountain. Back in the day, there was an author named Arthur Roth, and he wrote uh, Two for Survival. He wrote the book Trapped. He wrote Avalanche. And he in this one book, Two for Survival, he explained how this guy on an airplane uh, took the window or not the, the window the mirror in the bathroom and he broke it and he took the sharpened edge of the mirror and he you know held someone hostage with it and I mean it was just a I mean at a young age I read this I was like damn that guy made a, a knife out of an edge of a mirror I was like, that's pretty awesome um, but I think that's what's missing so much in our our survival discussion these days is like especially with the Instagram generation everything has to be the latest greatest coolest tool. And we get away from the skills. Um, and I'm pretty sure you've you and I have talked about this before, where you could post up like a badass skill set like friction fire or making cordage, and it's gonna get a third or maybe a tenth of as many uh likes and saves and forwards and whatnot as just a knife that's taken at a, a like a favorable angle. And it just drives me crazy, you know, like because I, I don't wanna just be a gear guy. I wanna have a, a firm knowledge of skills and that's not unfortunately what uh, what attracts people on the gram. You know, I, I wish we had a separate gram that was just skills. Um, but what have you found from your Instagram presence to be like the most popular post that you put up?
1: Uh, One of the most popular videos I have is probably the most mundane where I'm pulling wood curls with a tracker knife Fairly effortlessly because I have a lot of practice. I just practice. I practice something almost every day. It's got probably 5,000 views and probably as many reshares.
0: And you're talking about like you've got the wood in front of you and you're using the hook on the tracker pulling it back towards you, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's actually very, very mundane. It's just, a, I was turning a squared piece of lumber into a round piece of lumber to make atlatl darts. I was teaching people some basics of how to make some quick, hasty spear of some kind. Any kind of tool that can increase your range is, is a game changer when it comes to survival. Traps are probably going to give you your most food. Or and then uh, spears and arrows afterwards. Frogs, fish, if you get lucky, maybe <laughs> a rabbit.
0: Yeah. Everyone's got the image that they're going to take down a rabbit or they're going to catch like a ptarmigan or a, you know, a pheasant. But the reality of what you're eating when you're doing like a true survival challenge, it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> you know, like, like reptiles will be on the menu. Um, you know, fish eggs. I think that was probably one of the, the funniest things I've seen survival students pull on a course. Is like, look at all these fish eggs. I'm going to fry them up. Um, one guy we had, this was before Fieldcraft Survival, this was at the, at the other survival school. He found this giant earth snail, and when he boiled it, it laid an egg, and uh, <laughs> he's like, look at this, The snail's got eggs. Uh, it was just gross, you know what I mean? Like, everyone's got this image that they're going to be eating trout, or they're going to be eating just, like, these preferable foods, and that's really not the case. Um, what's the worst food you've ever eaten, like, in, a, uh. in the field?
1: Oof. MREs? No. Uh, I've eaten a few gr- wood grubs. They were kind of gross, but they also had an interesting flavor. their texture is probably the most off-putting thing.
0: You got to describe it's
1: it. Not. It's not peanut butter. It's not jelly. It's, but it's also kind of like chewing on a bad loogie. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're not overly tasty. Uh, some of them though have this nutty flavor to them because the what they're ingesting. Jeez, uh, uh, grasshoppers probably have approximately eighty calories. So if you get enough of them, you can you can pull out 3,000 calories. But they also have uh, E. coli and something else, and you have to like fire roast them to burn it out.
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot of the insects have parasites, and uh, there was a TED talk a while back about a grasshopper that gets a parasite and it causes the grasshopper to jump into a water source, which releases the parasite into the water. So it actually creates like a zombie grasshopper. And when you see this long ass worm come out of the the grasshopper, you're going to say to yourself, why would I ever eat insects raw? You know what I mean? Like, and, and don't get me wrong. Like there are grasshoppers that have them and even fresh caught salmon in Alaska. When you, take fresh caught salmon that hasn't been frozen and you put it on the grill you might see worms in that salmon and there are people that are like oh i'm just going to eat it raw it's sushi well you're probably going to get whatever worms that that salmon has so it makes sense to cook it or to freeze it and then eat it raw um but you should definitely be aware of what you're what you're consuming um have you ever gotten really sick off of anything that you've eaten Uh,
1: a couple times off from local food in iraq and afghanistan
0: like what? Uh, like what What was it? Do you recall? It
1: was uh, chicken that wasn't cooked well, and one of them was a goat dish, which was actually really tasty, but about two days to three days later, all of us had very, very, very bad stomach issues for about 48 to 72 hours afterwards.
0: Basically like it, peeing out of your was, butt. Uh,
1: huh? Yeah. It, um, in Iraq, we got uh, dysentery from eating the local food. Which is not pleasant. I'd rather have the flu.
0: Man, and how long did that dysentery last?
1: Uh, we, with meds and IVs, it took us most of the guys who got it uh, about four days to recover. Damn, five days. It was a miserable experience. Yeah,
0: you know, we uh, we've got an idea that in the wilderness, like the cold is going to kill you, or like a bear is going to come at you in your shelter, but it might just be something as simple as not preparing your food well or getting some type of infection. And it's something
1: very mundane. Yeah.
0: Right. You know, like Hollywood has made it out to be like you against nature and it's going to be some giant force of nature. But meanwhile, what's probably what's going to kill you is some microscopic force of nature. So now let's kind of shift gears here. Uh, The gear that you carry. You know, obviously a lot of the guys here are gear guys, you know, and as much as I kind of hate all the gear photos alone on Instagram, I have a lot of gear uh, and the guys that I work with at at the company, we all have our preferences for gear. So if you were to describe like your shoulder bag of what you have in it, what do you have and why do you have it? Like go through like five to 10 items. What do you, what do you have? And why do you have it?
1: Uh, My shoulder bag. That I carry a lot of the time has a canteen, first aid kit, water purification kit, uh, compass, sometimes a book, food, uh, scarf, gloves, hat, and uh, usually a pair, spare pair of socks. Because uh, even if you don't have a blanket, just putting an extra pair of wool socks over your feet, or changing your socks in the evening so you have drier socks on, and just sleeping up against a tree is is, is better than having wet feet, miserable feet. It's probably the worst thing in my opinion. It's like I don't mind being rained on, sleeping in a poncho. I've done that plenty of times with the uh, infantry world. But wet feet, I, I've always hated that. So I always <laughs> tend to take my boots off and change my socks a lot.
0: Did you ever get into uh, the baby powder routine?
1: I did not like that. No? The, the baby powder. Uh, a lot of guys did. I used... Um, a different powder, uh, for a little bit. And then I ch- changed to, uh, carrying a little bit of charcoal to rub on my armpits to kill the, uh, that bad bacterial smell that you get after you've been in the field for a while, which worked pretty nice. Uh, baby wipes are your friend. The longer you're out.
0: I just had this conversation with my girlfriend this past weekend. We were talking about hygiene and the great outdoors. And I said how, like, as I, I pulled out a pair of nail clippers and I started clipping my nails before I, I started cooking and then I washed my hands and she actually took a video of it. She thought it was like the funniest thing in the world. She's like, wow, you brought all this like personal hygiene stuff. I'm like, look, I know that there's bacteria that can be under your nails. And, you know, like I just explained it very logically. And she's like, I still think it's really funny. Um, the charcoal thing that is, I have not had a person on a podcast, bring that up. And that's an old school, like old, old school trick. Can you describe that? Um, because not a lot of people realize that charcoal can be used for so many different things from fire starting to uh, taking the smell out of water, but also as deodorant. So are you just taking the, the charred wood or are you making a powder? Like what's your process?
1: So for the charcoal rub, I like to take the, the black bricks of charcoal that are left over from an old campfire, crush them up. And turn it into a powder and then a little bit of water and scrub it off if you have water. If you don't have water, it will kill the smell, dissipate, and and it can be used as camouflage. So I usually keep a little tin of it. Um, I used to keep a tin of it for uh, face covering and uh, neck covering. Anything white, reflective, shiny. And I'm, I'm Scottish, so I don't really get a tan. I, I get uh, some sunburn and some new freckles. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my uh, my late mentor Marty used to talk about all the things that you can do with like campfire. Um, obviously, like the fire itself, but when it burns out, you've got the charcoal. And then, have you ever heard of wilderness concrete? That's with like hardwood ash, salt, and water.
1: No, I have not heard that. Trick Dude, yet.
0: you got you got to look this one up. Uh, it's wilderness concrete, and basically, you take uh, you're you're taking the the hardwood ash. Using a little bit of salt and using water and you're mixing it all together and it, it forms a, a very strong uh, substance that's like concrete um, and, and Marty used to talk about it all the time. So uh, there, there's all sorts of stuff like this is like bush wisdom that is just falling by the wayside. Um, looking back on your career in the military with the infantry because you brought up, you know, sleeping under a poncho. What were some of the greatest lessons you learned from the infantry?
1: there's a lot of myths out there
0: <laughs> take give me a few
1: um like sleeping up against a tree uh, on the downhill is better uh i woke up one time in my sleeping bag blue because my squad leader woke me up from the fire garden i wasn't waking up they do strip me down naked and back uh two tanks up next to me and they, everybody was drying my stuff off and then uh They checked on everybody else, and there was another dude. We were stripped down naked, had two tanks blasting us with their jet engines to warm us up and dry our stuff off. It was in uh, Germany. It rained for like 40 days straight. It was miserable. We were cold. But uh, there's certain tricks that are in books that weren't tested. They were thought of as a good idea, but they weren't really tested. Like the transpiration bags. Transpiration bags work great in certain environments, but the version where you dig a pit, it it doesn't work very well at all. It's it's like if you get maybe four ounces at best and you're probably gonna spend a quart of water trying to dig that hole in the first place.
0: Yeah, the transpiration bag, we used to do that in upstate New York, Um, but we had a lot of trees that were edible, right? Like we had uh, birch trees, we had maple trees, we we had beach trees right all of them that produce some type of edible fruit or food but when you get out here to the desert those transpiration bags i mean how first off how many people are going to be rolling around with a clear piece of plastic that size plastic tubing right like when they show it in a book there are all these components that you need and you need a giant shovel right or you're digging with your hands you know and your fingernails um it's just, it's not plausible. It's not a, not a great idea. So sleeping on the downside of trees, transpiration bags in the desert, were there any others that you were like, this is stupid?
1: Um, There's a couple others, but w- one of the good ones that we learned was uh snow caves. They work exceptionally well, if, especially if you have an air mattress between you and your sleeping bag and the uh, snow. Mm-hmm. But you also feel like you're sleeping in the coffin, because if you want it to actually be warm, it needs to be very, very tight. So maybe four to five inches at best above your head. And you're probably two, three feet in the snow. Yes. That was probably one of the good ones to learn. Uh, you get real comfortable sleeping next to somebody. Curling up under a tarp, two bodies under one tarp is better than than suffering on your own when it's cold and windy and raining. Uh, you you learn there's a lot you can do without that is unnecessary. Ounces equal pounds, pounds equal pain. So you get real nitty gritty with what you really need for a mission, which makes it interesting when you're doing bushcraft and survival and the fieldcraft stuff, because it's like, you want to bring all the toys and tools and stuff. And then about 10 miles in, you're like, oh my God, this sucks. Why did I bring 70 pounds of stuff? I'm not going to use. Yeah. It sounds
0: like the scene in that movie platoon where, Charlie Sheen's character is about to go out on like a nighttime ambush raid or whatever he was doing and Sergeant Elias comes by and he's like, no, you don't need that. You don't need that. And then what does he say? He's like, I'll hump this for you this time, but like, don't, don't bring it ever again. Um, I mean, what were some of those things that you learned as a young infantryman? And then you eventually shared as a senior guy, like you might be told you need to bring this, but you don't need to bring this.
1: Uh, we we used to drop uh, spare uniforms a lot because there's always these packing lists from guys who sit in offices um, making these packing lists and we we drop spare uniforms and carry extra socks instead, uh, more batteries in in place of uh, these. Because bulky uniforms, because you and I are both over six feet. Mm -hmm. So our uniforms are going to be about eight pounds. Somebody who's five foot tall, their uniform is only going to be four pounds because it is less cloth. So you start dropping things and you carry a sewing kit instead of spare uniform. Uh, You you bring an electric razor and a regular razor, because depending on what your patrol base is set up at. So you don't waste water. You, you use the electric razor. And when you got somewhere where there's water, it's cold shave. But it's uh, about hygiene more more than looking clean, which a lot of people get confused with. They had to teach soldiers in uh, World War II to wash their dishes. They put out videos on it because they were all getting dysentery from not washing their videos. The, back to the field hygiene thing.
0: Get out of here. Wait, wait, wait. So they were they had like their, their mess kit, and they just weren't cleaning it properly. And from one meal to the next— I'm assuming they've just got like leftover like crud.
1: Leftover bits of food and things like that that weren't cooked well or stuff like that because they didn't really cook a lot of their own food so they'd go into a chow line get some food from the supply guy in the rear lines Uh, they'd eat ready made stuff so their uh, cook kit, their, their food kit would always have some leftover food so they had to teach them to Use charcoal, use sand. Uh, When you have soap and water, use soap and water to remove extra food particles because they were getting uh, diarrhea, and dysentery, and uh, in a few small cases, malaria, Uh, especially the uh, guys in the islands.
0: Man, yeah, it's wild. Uh, You know, we get asked every so often on courses, like, well, what else do you guys teach at fieldcraft? And it's like, well, you're learning fieldcraft as you take all the courses, right? When you're taking the firearm stuff, you know, there'll be discussions about firearms maintenance. When you're taking the med stuff, you're learning all about, you know, how to stage gear, how to pack gear, how to use gear. You take the survival stuff. We might talk about the long-term, uh, you know, stays in the field and and gear that you might want to carry. Because when people say like, well, what is field craft? I'm like skills for the field. And that could be you as a hunter. That could be you as a responsible citizen responding to a car crash. Like field craft is just how well do you operate in the field? You know? Um, And it sounds like all of these things that you're bringing up from the past are lessons that we should still practice today. You know what I mean? Like I know that I definitely have friends. There's always that one dirty friend right? The one where you're like, dude, scrub your ass. Um, you know, you, you went to the bathroom and you used toilet paper. Uh, okay. That's great. Uh, you might want to use something else like a baby wipe because you probably smeared it everywhere. Uh, and I know I'm talking about a whole bunch of crap, but, uh, these lessons are important, you know, and it's going to allow you to stay out there in the field longer. Um, man, there, I mean, there, there's so many things that, that need to be brought up that are just like learning points from the field, but the, re, another reason why I wanted to bring you on is because when I could not do that 48 hour Ziploc bag challenge, you stepped up and I appreciate the hell out of you for doing that. But there were some cool things that happened on that class and it was still hot. And those students ended up doing a, a bunch of successful challenges. Uh, so what were some of the takeaways as an instructor that you saw the students go through or experience? Like, What were some of the takeaways that, um, that you noticed? Uh, because you sent me the after action but i wanted to share it with everyone here and i wanted them to hear it from you
1: well uh, some of the things were they they first night only kind of half listened to when i said they're going to want protection from the ground (laughs) and the second night they doubled up on uh, grass grass is one of those great renewable sources to make beds with and it's not really a big deal if you cut it because it will just come back uh, so they doubled down on, on their bedding. One of the students made a bark wall door to block wind coming from the other side of a shelter, which was awesome, but he spent probably three more hours just trying to, on the, building a shelter to get a warmer environment without a blanket. And in a simple blanket, it is a huge game changer um the water improvised water containers one of the guys took a cue from you and got these oven bags well he got an off-brand version which are actually ventilated so they steam out so he was fighting holes
0: <laughs> wait, 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 hold on so wait, he he used the run he used the oven bags but it had holes in it
1: yes they have steam vents in it oh for, like, for the turkeys and uh, Big Gooses, but he was an off-brand, not the Reynolds ones. Oh, so, I didn't know that. I missed out, as out many, on that detail. They were twice as big. So they were actually really nice until you tried to transport water for a farther distance. The other student used his neck gator to support his water system, which I thought was a pretty smooth move. And uh, it made his plastic container that much more durable because he did end up popping one of his, if I remember correctly, and having to tie a knot and do it. Uh, the the neck gaiter, the buff, as a lot of people call it in the hiking world, provided a more stable container. And at the end, I showed them the, the, one of the ones, 48 hours kits that I made to do a challenge with, and it was in a canteen cup. And they both decided a small metal canteen cup that holds the same amount of tools would be more useful paracord is awesome but they both decided that they would rather have more fishing line the 25 pound braided line and uh Kevlar line to be able to put more length of cordage because they didn't understand how much cord they would have to make or use And they did a little bit of the cord making, but realized real fast, if it's not something you practice a lot, it's time consuming. Then we went over some of the other food gathering stuff, and they saw how they don't really produce until you start producing more numbers of those traps, so you're invested.
0: Yeah. Did you see any game that people could have taken?
1: Uh, We saw quite a few dove in the evening and a couple woodpeckers but they're protected in a survival situation it's food Mm -hmm. Uh, robins used to be eaten pretty often in america and then they got protected by the migratory bird act because they're pretty not because they were endangered they used to be eaten as much as chicken in america for a few years but there are a lot of the eurasian doves would pop up in the evening without a slingshot or or a small pistol you're not getting too close to them because they were pretty skittish. the The most plentiful thing we saw was the grasshoppers, and uh, one of the students tried to get some, and he he was not having much luck. It's something that also needs practiced.
0: Yeah, that uh, that challenge. You know, there are a lot of people that say, "Oh, I could do that. I could do that," and then push comes to shove, and they don't they don't show up to the class. I really think more people should try it, and perhaps in the future we change up the challenge a little bit where it's not a Ziploc bag, but it is a metal container, right? And we kind of follow the lead of like Morris Kahansky. They had the bush pot and you build the survival kit out of the bush pot. So you have something very durable that can serve multiple purposes as a container and, and water container and, and digging tool and things like that. Um, if you could create a survival challenge, because I know you've done a bunch of them, or if you could, encourage people to try a survival challenge which one do you think you would you would offer or suggest
1: uh the canteen cup in 24 hours to 48 hours with a friend is a really good one so whatever you put in a canteen cup in the summer it's easier it's like uh where we were at in utah it was 105 days and 40 to 45 degree nights so big temperature shift but more temperate areas they're not going to have that 40 degree Swing. The 50-degree temperature drop, So yeah. it's it's easier in the summer. And then you do another one in the fall. And then when you're really more practiced, maybe one in the winter with a backup rucksack and things like that. But the Canteen Cup is a really good one. I love the, the Ziploc bag because it's something you can just throw in your back pocket or a cargo pocket. Uh, it's convenient because you got to get out of Dodge. It's something easy to grab if you're not necessarily always prepared with a go bag or or a mobile vehicle rig like uh mike glover had saw that rig that was awesome
0: (laughs) yeah he's he's got a few toys um you know what i think is really interesting about the canteen cup challenge or the ziploc bag challenge is that you can look at any of the items in that ziploc bag or that canteen cup and say well i want a better version which might be a little bit bigger and even if you go a little bit bigger with the various survival kit items, you're still not in an incredibly large kit, right? Like a lot of those guys carried Swiss army knives and someone might say, well, I want a four inch knife or a seven inch knife. Well, you put a four inch knife into a backpack and it doesn't take up a lot of room. And someone says, well, I want a better fire starter. Well, you can only go so big with a fire starter, you know, before it becomes ridiculous. And you can do a lot more, say like a, like an X attack, you know, fire rod. You don't have to go to the full XL size. Um, but a standard size fire rod is going to be better than a micro size one. And like just going up one extra level or one extra size in any of those products, you know, you're going to end up with a really solid kit, you know, and a spool of that braided fishing line, throw that in your kit, you know, as opposed to little thread bobbins that are filled with 25 pound braided fishing line. So I, I really think it's good for thought provocation. And, you know, you can continue to read stuff online. You can listen to this podcast even, or you can go out there and you can try it, learn from the experience and say, you know what, this works for me. That doesn't work for me. Kind of like what you experienced in the, the infantry, you know, um, there's just so much that you can learn, but, uh, what are you currently working on now? Like, cause I know you've always got a lot of different projects. You got a lot of different things that you're, you're screwing with.
1: Uh, currently I'm trying to get better at tracking and and hunting Mm -hmm. uh so when switching from immediate survival just staying alive staying somewhat comfortable so you can actually get some sleep and then transitioning from wilderness living it's all about food procurement that becomes the huge hurdle is the food procurement and and i'd like to be much better hunter so i've been studying that and uh i studying tracking. Tracking teaches you to see the world differently. Yeah,
0: the uh, the guy that you want to study under is Caudill, which I think you uh, have you have you talked to Craig yet? Uh,
1: I've talked to Craig. I assisted on one of his classes for the land navigation and the tracking, and he brought up some stuff that I've only learned through trial and error and a couple books have mentioned. Uh, He brought up some stuff to the students that's like, you don't notice that without experience. And he was teaching them straight out the gate, uh, which something I didn't even realize I was doing when tracking was uh, the way he puts it was sun track you. And so the sun is up the track and then you. So it creates contrast. And if you don't have that tracking, uh, a flashlight is a huge advantage to change the contrast of the track to show the depth, the speed, gait, things like that. Um, but there was something that's like, I didn't even notice I was doing, and then he put it out and I'm like, Oh my God. And I was like, I got grumpy with a couple students cause they weren't paying attention. It's like this dude is showing you stuff that you don't learn till four or five years of doing this with lots of mistakes and you're getting it right out the gate. Like he's starting you on a better path than most people who get into tracking or hunting do, because it's a lot of trial and error.
0: Yeah, and Craig is very methodical and he's pragmatic. Craig doesn't get into spiritual tracking, and that's a a difference in philosophy from a lot of the schools that are out there. He's like, look, if you want to get into understanding what the little rabbit was feeling when it chewed on the grass, That's a whole other class, but he's going to tell you where the rabbit went after it chewed on the grass. You know what I mean? Like I've I've always appreciated him as a, as a friend and as an instructor because he, he's just to the point, hard skills. And like you said, he's giving away information in the first hour that you cannot write down fast enough.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's amazing. I probably have 10 pages of notes from that one day.
0: Yeah. If you could train, if you could train with any three instructors, living or dead, uh, who would it be?
1: Uh, I would love to train with uh, Tim Smith. Yep, he He's one of the titans of American bushcraft, and a lot of people don't even know who he is. He runs uh, Jack Mountain Bushcraft. Yep. Um, I would love to do a whole lot more training with uh, Craig, especially when it comes to the tracking side. Because he just it was doing stuff and pointing out stuff to some of the guys that was, I, I was not aware of. And I would definitely love to do some more uh, training with you. Uh, Cause I quite enjoy your book. I quite enjoy our conversations and a lot of, not a lot of people like to admit this, but it's like, there's some civilian people out there who are a lot more tactically minded than a lot of military guys. Cause they get so used to the, dogma of doing things they don't realize the training and when you get out you kind of miss it another person a fourth person he's actually local and i plan on getting into one of his classes he's, uh mike lumio
0: yeah bushcraft he's been Northwest. Right on the
1: scene for a minute and which is interesting because he's also one of those guys that not a lot of people know of
0: well <clears throat> i can tell you that tim smith uh in 2006 I did his bushcraft weekend. Uh, Tim is a great guy and very, very knowledgeable man. Very, very friendly. Uh, he knows how to cook in the backcountry. Tim was one of the early technical advisors for man versus wild. It was actually the Bear Grills goes to Alaska, man versus wild. And, uh, you know, when people see me do the the sapling cut where you stress the grain in the sapling with one arm and you cut it with the other you'll see bear grills do it and you'll see tim smith do it and where or who showed me was tim smith <laughs> you know so he's he's just a solid instructor he's also a big dude like he would put you and he would put me to shame in terms of like size he's like 62 300 something pounds nicest guy in the world but if you were to to piss off that bear that dude would crush you um and mike lumio i haven't i haven't met mike yet i've followed his stuff for a while i know that he's got a uh, a signature blade that you carry one very similar, kind of like that PUCO style with that, um, that like potato shaped handle. Um, but that knife is awesome. I know a lot of guys copy it and, you know, I know that it's just a performer. So yeah, uh, it's, a,
1: it's a very simple version uh, of a Scandi PUCO bushcraft style knife. It, it's been copied a lot. It's very similar to what Morris Kohansky described in his Bushcraft book. Um, It's very, very just plain Jane, no frills. You can find a lot of similar knives like it to $150. It's it's a pretty good investment, in my opinion. It's like, I like the Mora. It's a good entry-level tool, but I like a little bit more stout knife myself.
0: Mm. Yeah, and you know, if you look at all those guys that you mentioned, all the the knives that they recommend, they're all pretty simple in design. They're not fancy, there's no saw teeth, there's no crazy coatings to them or, you know, or anything like that. It just They just want a tool that works as a tool. Um, now, I asked you about the instructors, but something that I've been wanting to know too is, where's your ultimate destination if you had to do a survival experience? Um, whether it's a challenge or you're just going there to to see it and learn from the locals, like what would be on your bucket list for a trip or an experience for the bushcraft side of the, the house?
1: Uh, I've always wanted to go train with the Hadaza because they are the kings of tracking. There's stories of them chasing uh, gazelles down and staying on the exact same gazelle in uh, doing persistence hunting, um, and running that animal to near exhaustion and then getting a knife kill or a spear kill. Or there's very short bows that, um, not the I carried, but uh, that's another tribe they carried very short bows. Yeah, the song, no fletching, they have like three. To eight feet perfect range and then after that the arrow just goes wherever <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they would get up on these animals and they would even when a herd of them and they could stay on that same one I'd love to experience that um I'd, probably a close second would be going and uh, hanging out with uh Joe flowers down uh, in the Amazon. Uh, bushcraft global he does trips down in the amazon with um, the mati and learn, learning how they do stuff so they existed a long time very efficiently with no stone or steel tools
0: yeah the, joe does some interesting programs uh, i got to get him on the podcast at some point i know he and i go way back to like 2005 um so yeah joe joe does some cool stuff down there as far as the Hadaza Oh my gosh, Uh, you got to talk to Joel Vanderloon. Um, I'll get you in touch with him. I know he runs trips and he occasionally works with those guys. But uh, yeah, man, there's just so much to learn. You know, just when you think you have a pretty firm understanding or a grasp on survival skills and like, hey, I'm good in this area, try going to a new area and learn something from those folks out there. Like the whole Utah experience is very different than the boreal forest of northern New York. You know, like that to me, it's been eye opening and I'm looking forward to getting back to North Carolina to uh, to get back to my woods. The mountains are great, but it's not it's not home to me. Um, Now you're up in the Pacific Northwest. And if people wanted to contact you, how like what's the best way for them to do that? Because I know you're still going to be helping out with a bunch of courses, especially as we expand but if someone just wanted to contact you and and shoot the proverbial shit or ask you a question about primitive skills or whatever it is, what's the best way for people to reach you? Uh,
1: the most efficient is, uh, Instagram. I don't really do Facebook anymore. I haven't been on that since, uh, deployments. And that was mainly for staying in contact with my wife and seeing pictures of my kids. I do the Instagram a lot. Um, I was looking into other apps, but honestly, I'm not really too big of a tech guy. So the Instagram is probably the most efficient and it's like, you have my phone number. Ricky has my phone number. If somebody really needs training, they can get in contact with me that way. Uh, I do sometimes take a day or two to get back to you because I forget where I put my phone some days. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Well wow. um, That's pretty much the most efficient way to find me is, uh, through that social media site.
0: Well, I hope that people do reach out to you uh, because, you know, I've seen you teach students, like, I've seen you teach friction fire blocks. I've seen uh, you talk about the cordage of three. And, like, you have the current knowledge of how to do the skill, but then also the historical knowledge that stacks a level of understanding onto it. And I really think people need to learn from folks like you and the guys that you've mentioned because these skills are a dying breed. But um is there anything else that we should probably talk about? I mean, we're kind of going long here, so is there anything that we haven't talked about? Something that you want to add?
1: No, I had a comment on the learning thing, yeah. which is uh it seems the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know shit.
0: <laughs> Spot on.
1: It's it's like I got a library And I never thought I'd have a library as a kid. I hated learning as a kid. And now it's all I do. Yeah. uh, That comes back to that be the humble student thing.
0: Yeah. And you often post up pictures of books and, you know, again, I'm tracking like what people are liking on your posts and, you know, the book posts, people, I I do think people want to read. And you're always putting up some pretty decent recommendations there. So, uh, guys, what we'll do is, um, we'll we'll sign off here but please check out jared's stuff he's got a lot of really interesting skill sets and i would recommend that you take up one of his challenges right so if you find like something like the ziploc bag challenge interesting take a look at the things that jared is doing whether it's making a pair of footwear whether it's making a, a cutting tool uh doing a cordage challenge don't be afraid of that pressure. Don't be afraid of that, that level of difficulty, because just like his lawnmower knife, you're going to learn in the process, right? And even if you don't succeed, you have a better understanding and appreciation for a tool, which might encourage you to carry that tool day to day. Um, so that's what I got for you. That's why I wanted to bring Jared on is because the dude knows resourcefulness. And I think there's a lot to learn from him. So, Jared, I'll give the final word to you and then we'll sign off. What do you got?
1: Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> and just keep studying.
0: Hell yeah, man. Thanks for being on. All right, guys. I'm Kevin O'Sello of Field Cross Revival. Thanks so much for listening.